It was a large, old reading room in the basement of an old Victorian building in an old village in old New England. The room was a sea of dusty old wingback chairs, grouped in twos, facing round small tables. One could not walk a straight line from the double doors to the fireplace at the far end. A dozen people could be in the room and not see anyone else but the person opposite. This was the hometown of an obscure writer of short, weird fiction from the turn of the last century. And I thought these stories from original manuscripts would be a crowning addition to my thesis on Transitional Short Fiction of the Late 19th and Early 20th Century. It was to be my grand opus and would cement my position as the rising star of the English department. But time was short. It had taken me hours to navigate the narrow country roads to get here. Why did these types of writers always live in such backwater places? I arrived in time to stick my foot in the door, just as the old maid librarian was closing it. After a few minutes of very picturesque begging and pleading, she showed me to the archive room, which was next to the reading room, and left, telling me to lock the door on my way out. After an hour of collecting material, I dragged it to the empty reading room and sat down to my study. I was tired and must have fallen asleep because suddenly I was shocked awake by a deep voice which seemed to come from a wingback chair on the other side of the room. These stories are much more interesting when they are heard rather than read, it said. Listen, and you'll hear what I mean. In this story, a choice between two evils has been made. The House of Death by F. Georgia Strope The three women looked around the little kitchen. For some reason, each seemed to avoid the eyes of the other. My land, but it's hot in here, Mrs. Prentice moved to the north window to raise it. As she propped up the heavy sash with a thin board that lay on the sill, a gust of hot wind swept through the room from a drought-parched Kansas cornfield. Seeking relief in action, her daughter, Selina, hastened to the opposite window and pushed it up, as a cloud of dust thickened in the road in front of the house. A small herd of bawling cattle were milling past the house in the heat and glare of the August sun. Their heads drooped dejectedly, and their tongues lolled from parched mouths. My land, Selene! There goes another bunch of cattle out west. Does beat all how hard tis to get water in this country. Just seems to me sometimes like I'd die for a sight of mountains and green things and a tumbling little stream that'd run and ripple all summer. Motherly Mrs. Collins wiped the perspiration from her large red face and fanned herself with her blue sunbonnet. Didn't Mamie Judy come from the mountain country, she asked? Yes, we went to the same school. When she was a girl, she had the blackest eyes and the prettiest red cheeks of any girl you ever did see. Didn't look much like she does now. A farmer's wife soon goes to pieces. She was such a lively girl, too, so full of fun, and now just to think what the poor things come to. Again, the three women avoided each other's eyes. 
Then Selena spoke nervously. Do you suppose she did it, Ma? There you go with your supposing again. Better get to work and straighten up this house. That's what we come over for, ain't it? Mrs. Collins rose heavily from her chair and unrolled and donned a carefully ironed blue check apron. Seems kind of funny to have the funeral here, don't it? Oh, I don't know. The graveyard's handy and it's so far to the church. Yes, that's so. Taint far to the cemetery. Always seemed to me that Mamie found it kind of spooky, always seeing the graveyard, right through that window there over the stove. Being up on top of that rise and only a half mile away would make it seem to me kind of like living in a graveyard. Selena, take this here bucket and bring in some water. My land, I don't see how Mamie ever got through with all her work and took care of the baby. Her being so old and it her first made it harder too. Never thought her and Jed would have any children. Things do need readying up pretty considerable, spoke Mrs. Collins. Picked up some odds and ends of clothing from a corner where they'd lain as long enough to accumulate a coating of acrid dust. My just look at the lining in this firebox. How do you suppose Mamie ever managed to cook on it? Must have been pretty hard. She didn't have things fixed up as handy as some of the rest of us, even. You see, they didn't have much money to spend on things. Farming in Kansas ain't been a paying business the last few years. When taint too wet, it's too dry, or too hot, or too cold, or something. Yes, it seems like there's always something. There, I got that sweeping done. We'll let Selena scrub while we fix up the front room. The two women opened the door into the front room. The blinds were tightly drawn and the musty odor testified to its lengthy isolation. My land, look at that, will you? Mrs. Prentice pointed to a cheap colored glass on the center table, which held a pitiful little bouquet of one immortal, six pale spears of a rank grass, and a carefully cut out letterhead of a printed spray of orange blossoms. Who'd have thought of trying to make a bouquet out of that? I remember when we were back in Tennessee that Mamie was always finding the first deer's tongues and other kinds of little early flowers. Us big girls always helped fill her little hands. Seemed like she never could get all she wanted. And then think of living out here where there ain't water enough for things that has to have it, let alone flowers. Why, I remember one summer when we even saved the dishwater to use several times and fed it to the pigs because water was so scarce. Yes, the way farmers' wives have to worry long taint much wonder so many of them go crazy. I read in the paper that was around a bundle that had come from the store that a bigger part of farmers' wives went crazy than any other kind of women. Yes, I heard that too. Let's just step in and pick up in the bedroom and then sweep both these rooms out together. The wind's in the right direction. Yes, you come with me. We, we could get done sooner working together. That must be the pallet and this the pillow. They say the baby had been dead for several hours when Jed found it. Yes, and Mamie sitting out there in the barn door with her head in her lap, not crying nor nothing. The two women hesitated, lingered at their task. Something kept them from moving the things that the coroner had kept in so rigidly an exact position. Yes, there's something mighty queer about it. My land, just think, she might be hung. 
in a hoarse whisper, both faces blanched at the hitherto unspoken possibility. A woman, neighbor, and friend, and the childhood acquaintance of one of them was imprisoned on the charge of killing her baby. They felt that they ought to have a feeling of horror. It was a horrible crime, with seemingly only one explanation. But to both, there arose visions of the unexpected satisfying of the craving's mother heart of the work-worn farm drudge, of her seeming happiness and joy at the little cuddling head in the hollow of her arm, and soft lips on the breast, as the little form was held tightly to its mother's bosom. I don't care what the coroner's jury said. I don't believe Mamie could have done it. But still, if she didn't, who did? Yes, and then if she didn't do it, why don't she say so? She knows they might hang her. They say she ain't said one word since Jed found her out there in the barn door. My land, but ain't it hot. Yes, there being no trees around here, just seems like the sun bakes right through the roof. Well, we might as well begin to pick up. The funeral's at ten tomorrow, and I can come over early, can you? Yes, I'll be here. I'm going to stay and set up tonight. Mr. and Mrs. Schinkel said they'd come over. Selena can get supper for her pa and the boys. We better change them claws. The women tiptoed into the little lean-to with that expectant hush that the present of death always causes. On an improvised table, a little form lay covered with a sheet above a box of slowly melting ice. The country ministrations of neighborly service were completed, and the women left the room and returned to their task of cleaning in the front of the little farmhouse. My land, but it's quiet here. Being so far off the main road, seems like a person never sees nor hears nobody. It's enough to drive a person crazy. The older woman had been standing for a few minutes, with her mind preoccupied by struggling thought. At last she spoke. See here, Miss Prentice, if this pillow'd been standing up like this, it could have fell over on the baby, see? Both women bent over the carefully folded bedclothing placed upon the floor for the sake of a slightly cooler strata of air and also to obviate the possibility of the baby rolling off while the mother was busy in some of the many tasks of the unaided farmer's wife. Little by little, the bedroom was straightened and the two rooms swept and dusted. Then Mrs. Prentice paused as she gave a final look around the rooms walked to one of the windows on the south, and ran a speculative finger over the glass. It was so heavily coated with dust as to be practically opaque. Then she stepped to the two windows on the east side of the room and looked at them. The panes of glass in both were clean and carefully polished. Now why do you suppose that is? she asked. Now why do you suppose that is? Mrs. Collins, who had been following her moves, shook her head. I don't know, she answered. Did you notice that the one in the kitchen on the south side above the stove hadn't been washed either? I noticed it when I went over to look at the firebox when you spoke. Yes, that's so, said Mrs. Prentice, standing in the kitchen door and glancing at the south windows of one room and then at the other. See here, do you suppose? That is, I mean, both these windows on the south side are toward the graveyard. Do you suppose that Mamie left them that way, on purpose? Well, there's a great deal to do on the farm. Maybe she got as far as the south side washing window someday, and then had to quit for some reason. 
Yes, but these ain't been washed for months. Poor little Mamie. Maybe she just couldn't stand to be everlastingly seeing them gravestones. I wish, oh, how I wish I'd have come over here oftener. We don't live so far away, but seems like I never get the time to get all my work done. And then, when I do, there's not enough time to walk, or I'm too tired, and of course the horses are always busy. What with fruit canning, and hand hands, and threshing, and little chickens, the summer's gone for you know it. And then the winter's too cold and snowy, or too wet and muddy to get out, and the first thing you know, another year slipped by. Motherly Mrs. Collins nodded her head in sympathy. An older and a heavier woman, all that Mrs. Prentice had said applied better than equally well to her. No wonder Mamie loved the baby, she said. And though she ain't been overly strong since it was born, just think of the years and years she was here all alone. For Jed used to work out a good deal, and she done all the work here. Years and years of stillness. And then the baby she never gave up wanting and hoping for. Yes, when I think what a woman's got to go through here on a farm, I don't ever want Selena should get married. Seems like it's enough sometimes to make a mother wish her girl baby could die when it's little. She gasped. Both women gave a frightened start. No, course I don't mean that, she added hastily. I just mean you love them so much that it don't seem no ways right for them to have to grow up to what you see in front of them. Well, we better quit talking and lay out the baby things. Suppose we look in the bureau in the bedroom. They moved again to the inner room and pulled out the top drawer of the old-fashioned marble-top bureau. A few shirts, a pile of carefully mended underwear, some socks, rolled and turned together in twos, met their gaze. That's Jed's drawer. Let's see what's in the next one. The second drawer revealed a freshly ironed white waist carefully folded above a meager pile of women's underwear. Without a word, Mrs. Prentice pushed it shut. The third drawer proved to be the one they wanted. Small piles of carefully made baby clothing of cheap material, but workmanship of infinite pains, met their view. Mrs. Collins wiped the tears from her cheek with the corner of her apron. See, they're nearly every one made by hand and all white. Most of them just flower sacks, but look how Mamie's bleached them. And see this drawn work? As she spoke, she placed a work-reddened hand underneath a narrow strip of open work. Yes, you can go home now, in answer to a question from Selena in the kitchen. My, the pain she took on all these little things. Seems if she must have been getting them ready all these years. And now, her voice trailed off into silence. The little clothing was laid on the bed in readiness for the morrow and the women looked about as though hunting something more to do. Used to the busy hours of farm work, they felt impelled to some task that would occupy the passing hours. Let's see if there's anything we ought to do upstairs. They climbed the narrow, ladder-like stairway to an unfinished, half-story garret room above. My land! She was house-cleaning this hot weather! Half of the stuffy little room had been thoroughly overhauled, and the other end begun. A little old horsehair trunk stood in the middle of the floor, with portions of its contents scattered about. I bet she was going to empty that for the baby's things. 
I showed her mine, just like it, that I fixed up for Selena when she was little. Well, we might as well pick up the things and put them back, said orderly Mrs. Collins, who suited the word to the action by laboriously bending with a slight grunt. Mrs. Prentice pushed her back. Here, let me pick them up. There ain't no call for you go stooping around in this heat. First thing you know, you be having a stroke. Some clothing and small articles were collected, and several bundles of yellowed old letters lay on the floor. From one of the packages, the string had broken, evidently when it had been lifted from the trunk. One letter lay crumpled near its empty envelope where it had been dropped. With a wandering glance, the two women smoothed it out. The first paragraph was so yellowed and faded as to be illegible, but part of the second paragraph had been protected by the folded paper, and they could read. We'll say that your wife is hopelessly insane. She may live for years, but will never regain her mentality, as cases like hers are incurable. We find upon investigation that the women of her family for several generations have become hopelessly insane at her age. In view of the fact that your small daughter is tainted with this inherited insanity, we strongly advise you to take her to some new environment, and when she grows older, explain to her why marriage should be considered impossible for her. As we can see the matter now, it is too bad that her mother had not been warned of the same fact, and in view of all our information, it would seem to have been better if we had not pulled her through that severe illness. If you... The remainder of the letter was undecipherable. The two neighbors looked at each other, their eyes wide with horror. At last, Mrs. Prentice gasped hoarsely. Do you suppose that bundle broke open and Mamie read this letter? Her father died before she was old enough to marry and left her this place partly paid for. And I remember when her and Jed was married, how they planned to pay the rest of it off just as soon as possible. But, interrupted Mrs. Collins, the coroner's jury said yesterday that there wasn't any manner of doubt, but that she wasn't crazy. She just sat there with her solemn big eyes and looked straight ahead and never said a word. I wonder how a woman feel to know that the baby girl she loved better in her own life would have to grow up in this drudgery and then finally spend the last of her years in asylum. Yes, and s'pose Mamie went crazy herself, long before the little girl grew up. I wonder if a woman really loved her baby girl if she wouldn't rather... She stopped once more with a frightened look. Wheels were heard coming down the lane. Mrs. Prentice spoke quickly. Sarah Ann Collins, we're going right downstairs and stick this letter in that cook stove quick. In the little kitchen below, the women were cooking supper when the county attorney and another man entered. Good evening, ladies, said the attorney. We decided to come out again and go carefully over the field to see if we could find any evidence. You haven't by chance found anything, have you? Mrs. Prentice looked covertly at Mrs. Collins, then answered. No, we just been cleaning up. We ain't been looking for no evidence. Well, Walters, said the attorney, you know juries when it comes to women. If there never is found a definite reason for her wanting the baby to die, no jury will ever believe she is guilty. The End I must have fallen asleep again. The next thing I remember was the librarian's voice from the hall outside. 
That damn young fool didn't lock the door, it said. Times aren't what they used to be. I ducked low and crept out when she wasn't looking. The whole drive back, all I could think about were those marvelous stories. Such marvelous stories.